Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Cody. My name is Winifred. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the boom, boom, boom door. Boom, boom, boom door. like you forget that part. I don't remember that part. It sounds like um somebody would be on like a horse. Don't know. No, no, no. Like going to fuck some shit up. <laughs> I finished uh Hocus Pocus 2 last night. Okay. <laughs> Is that like... what you said? My name's Winifred. Yeah. You have, I you have her hair. You have her teeth. No, I do not. I have her magic. Her little lips. I didn't like that her lips didn't look the same. I know. They weren't as, like, confined. Yeah, I know. I hated that. I know. Well, the whole thing was a little bit wonky. Yeah. So, Lane, I give it a five. I give it I give it. She gave it a seven. I give it a seven or eight. But, anyways. Hi, guys. Welcome. Um, So, today is a 30-minute Manor Mystery episode today. I haven't done one in, like, a couple of weeks because we did Ellen Ray Greenberg. Greenberg? Yeah, yeah, because her before she got married, it was Goldberg. Goldberg, yeah, and then, um, no, Goldberg is her boyfriend's name. They never got married. Oh, she's okay. Ellen Ray Greenberg, and Sorry. then after that, we did Nona Dirksmeyer, which are both mysteries. So I didn't do one that week because we're not gonna do a double mystery. But this week we are triple. gonna do a mystery, uh, another thirty-minute manner mystery. But before I get into that, um, we don't have any Patreons this week, but I did want people to know. That if you are a Patreon, I sent out your Halloween bath bombs and your Halloween pens, and they will be delivered either at the end of this week or next week. And we also just recorded an episode that we're going to be posting on Patreon, and it is the horrifying story of Elizabeth Fritzel, who was held captive for 24 years in her father's torture cellar, which, isn't it fucking crazy? It's, it's uh, horrifying. It's horrifying. It's out of this world. It's very... You'll like it. So... If you want to be a Patreon, the link is in our bio um, on our Instagram, which is Misery Manor Podcast, or just look below in the show notes and you can join starting at only $1. So come join the fucking party, babes. And before I get started, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Some people, like, I don't think that they subscribe because, like, hey, when did a new episode come up this week? I'm like, well, baby, if you subscribed, you'd get the notification. So oh, don't forget to press yeah. the little plus sign. plus sign in the top right-hand corner. But that's Apple. I don't know about you Spotify people. Spotify is a plus sign, too. Oh. Because I, I have both. I have a Spotify now, but I don't listen to any podcasts on it. Yeah. I love Spotify. So. No. I do. I like Apple. Well, I like both. We gonna fight about it? <laughs> My heels are like sandpaper. That's disgusting. <laughs> I and I thought I smelled something. <gasps> I'm kidding. It so, is not my feet. So on this week's 30-minute manor mystery, I'm going to be discussing the mysterious death of the boy in the box. Oh, I already knew this. <laughs> I was like, I was like wait, what is she it? She staring me down like, I was like, bitch, I already told you. So, okay. So let me take you. So if you were to visit the Ivy Hill Cemetery in Cedarbrook, Philadelphia, you would see a large grave plot kept 
almost entirely covered in stuffed animals, candles, toys, um, you know, like little stuffed bears and stuff. Um, and they've all been donated by local families and visitors. So on the headstone reads, America's Unknown Child. So the child buried beneath this plot was found dead and alone in a box. And to this day, no one has been able to identify him or what even happened to him. So the case of the boy in the box is one of Philadelphia's most baffling murder cases, stumping police for over 60 years. And still today, it leaves hundreds of unanswered questions. Who is he? Where is his family? How could this happen? And how did this happen? First, let's get into some of the background information on what we know about the crime scene or like the investigation scene, the actual investigation, and what we know about the boy. And then we'll get into some of the theories about what could have happened. So on February 25th, 1957, the the body of a boy was found in a box in an illegal dumping ground near Bury Road in Philadelphia. It was found because a young muskrat hunter set out to check his traps that evening, and they were set out near the park just north of Philadelphia. So as he moved through the brush, checking to see if he had caught anything, to his surprise, he stumbled across a small cardboard box on the ground, and it immediately caught his attention. So the box was 15 by 19 by 35 in size and featured the words, Furniture, Fragile, Do Not Open with a Knife. When the hunter opened the box inside, he found the dead body of a young boy that was wrapped in a plaid blanket. The hunter was terrified that if he alerted the police, they would force him to remove his traps and that he would get in trouble for trespassing because, like I mentioned earlier, he was on very illegal grounds. Therefore, the hunter ignored what he had just found and continued on his way. How the hell are you going to leave a a little baby in a box dead. I mean, yeah, well, it's much more important than whatever. Right. a muskrat. I don't know what a muskrat okay. is. Yeah. I'm thinking like a ferret or something. Hang on, I gotta look it up. Yeah, you look it up and let me know in a second. So a few days later, though, a college student was driving down the road and noticed a bunny running alongside oh. the pathway and like several bunnies. So this college student was a lover of animals and knew that there was most likely traps set alongside this road in the brush. So he got out to make sure that the bunny was safe and also wanted to like look around to see if there was any traps that he could find in the nearby forest and like take them with him so that the bunnies could not be caught. Did you look up what a muskrat is? Yeah, they look like little beavers. They're so cute. Remember I like posted oh, a video not that long ago? Yes. So a muskrat, think about a beaver. <laughs> but they don't have tails like that. Right. But their teeth are big and yellow. They look like beavers all right so as he was digging through the sticks and the leaves and the brush to uncover any traps he came across a box so curious as to what the heck it could be he opened it up looked inside and saw the deceased boy and immediately reported it to the local police so when the police arrived on the scene they questioned the college student for a bit but quickly handed over the boy's body to the investigators So the boy in the box was estimated to be around four to seven years old. He weighed around 30 pounds and stood three feet, three inches with blue eyes. He was found naked, but wrapped neatly in a blanket. 
The boy's hair was cut and his body was recently cleaned and washed. There were small scars in several places, including his chin, his groin, his left ankle, some of which suggested he had underwent some sort of medical procedure. Two of the cuts were on his chest and his groin and appeared to have healed very well, leaving only a hairline trace, while the third one was left on his ankle, on his left ankle and looked to have been cut down, a cut down incision made to expose a vein so that a needle could be inserted to give a transfusion or an infusion. On, oh, so the other scars included a half inch one on the left side of his chest, a round irregular shaped one on his left elbow, and a well-heeled L-shaped scar on his chin that was one-fourth inch long on each side. The child's palms, fingers, and soles of his feet were round and wrinkled, which may have indicated that he had been submerged in water around the time that he died. His esophagus also contained dark brown residue, which I'll get into later, which meant that he had vomited prior to his death. Despite the abuse and malnourishment the child had gone through, Surprisingly, his fingernails and his toenails were neatly trimmed. The little boy had a full set of baby teeth and was believed to be slightly buck-toothed, maybe by like a pacifier, just irregular right. growth. So after an autopsy, it was reported that severe head injuries and blunt force trauma was determined to be the cause of death. The police were hopeful, though, that the boy would quickly be identified because of his age. And they were thinking, you know, there's got to be some parents out there that are looking for their child or at least know what could have happened like if you had been in like well they didn't really have child care at that or like you know, foster like, care or something like well, that. i mean like it, it, while the parents were at work or something but like moms weren't really working right exactly so they were very hopeful that the boy would be identified soon but after further examining the boy's body their hopes slowly faded away why because the boy was severely malnourished to the point where his ribs were protruding from his very small frame his hair, so it was obvious that whoever's kid this was was not treating him very well. He could have been poor. So his hair was matted and dirty, and he looked abandoned and uncared for, despite that he had just been clean. So his skin was clean, but like him overall was not like bathed properly, right? Because I said earlier he had been, uh, his skin was clean. Um, he said his hair was cut, but. Right. So his hair, and I'm going to get into that later, his hair was cut, but on his body was chunks of his own hair, which led them to think that his hair was cut right before he died or after he had died. It wasn't pulled? No. It was like cut with scissors, like that harsh line, you know, like when you... I mean, I don't cut my hair like that, but yeah. Well, I'll cut yours in a minute to show okay. you. <laughs> so despite the fact that the young child looked abandoned and homeless, the police still decided to fingerprint him just in case there was some results of a missing child. But... There was none. So with the cold weather at this time of the year and the delayed phone call from the hunter who originally found the body, it wasn't possible to accurately estimate when the boy had passed away, but the medical examiner determined that he died anywhere from two days to two weeks prior to being found. Jeez. It is thought that it was likely to have just been a few days as the box was pretty much dry and it had been raining in the weeks before. So they were like, it would have been at least like, distorted and damp if it had rained right right so in hopes of finding his identity the police kept the boy at the morgue while visitors from over 10 different states tried to identify the boy by looking for any significant markings on him however not one person could claim and identify the young boy 
So police sent out 400,000 flyers of images of the boy to police stations, post offices, and courthouses all over the country. Forensic facial reconstruction was done, and a drawing of a happy young boy was included on all of the posters. So I'll post this photo. It's adorable. So even the American Medical Association sent out a description of the boy, but it led to nowhere. They also released a post-mortem image of the child dressed in a seated position with clothes on in hopes that it would like jog the memory of somebody that knew him or had seen him before. But again, nothing came up. So the police compared the child's footprints to hospital records in the area. Fingerprints were taken of the boy. Birth certificates were searched. Orphanages and foster homes were questioned, but no record was found to prove that the boy even ever existed, which led them to believe that maybe he was born at home. Right. Yeah. What if it was something like the Fritzl situation? Right. So one promising clue came from the actual box itself. The box contained a serial number which allowed investigators to pinpoint the shipment and they were able to trace it back to a J.C. Penney store 15 miles away, which I don't even think they have J.C. Penney's anymore, do they? I didn't know they were that old. So, I don't think so they were able to find out that before the boy was placed in the box, the box was used to ship a baby bassinet. The store had only shipped 12 of these boxes of bassinets, so only 12 were, like, made and shipped out. However, all of the purchasers paid in cash, leaving no record behind of who it was. Well, of course they did. It was 1957. Can you not write a check? Could you? I don't know. (laughs) Or you can, like, trade a cow or something. Probably. So eight of the 12 purchasers did end up contacting the police when they read about this story in the newspaper. And they went on record claiming that they either still had the boxes, which would mean it wasn't them, or told them that they had simply put the box out for the trash collection and anybody could have walked up and took the box. So, however, with confessions from the purchasers, police were able to determine that the box was shipped to Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. So the blanket that the boy was wrapped in was examined by Philadelphia Textile Institute, which believed the blanket was made either in Granbury, Quebec in Canada or Swannanoa, North Carolina. I know I'm not saying that right, but Swannanoa. Those are two very different places. But there was no way to tell whether this particular blanket was purchased since thousands were made daily and sold. So ultimately, the blanket led to a dead end. So another clue came um, about a hat uh, was about a hat that was found 15 feet near the box. It was a blue corduroy Ivy League style cap size eight or size seven and one eight. That's very, um, very specific. A cap? <laughs> like a cap size hat. It was like seven and one eight. That was like the size. So it was labeled Eagle Hat and Company and made by the small company owner of Miss Hannah Robbins in South Philadelphia. So Miss Robbins remembered the man who purchased the hat because she had customized it just for him. So when she was confronted by the police, she was like, I know exactly who purchased this hat. I made it just for him. Like he wanted it very specifically. It was like back then people had their hats like custom made. Right. So she was like, I know exactly who it was. So the man who she made this hat for was described as blonde between the ages of 26 and 30. He requested that a leather strap and a buckle be added to the hat, which was not originally on it. It's cute. It's kind of like a fedora cap. Or not fedora, like not fedora. I'll have to show you a picture of it. It I'll post it too. Like an Amish hat. So he paid in cash and she never saw him again. 
So detectives visited over 100 stores within the area, but nobody recognized the hat or the boy. So going back to the hair, there were also clumps of hair found on the boy's body, suggesting a very quick and careless haircut. And one forensic artist named Frank Bender actually believed that the boy was possibly raised as a girl growing up. Um, and this can make sense and be the reason why people could not recognize the young boy as to why, and this could also be why the boy's hair was cut right before death, maybe to conceal the identity. In fact, a guy named Bill Kelly, who is the one of the original investigators of the case, recounts that in 1957 and in 1958, a West Coast artist did circulate a rendition of the child as a girl to see if maybe people would recognize the child then. And it did get a lot of like um, headway, but it part. never produced any significant leads. Uh, I was like, whoa. Not expecting that. No. So the boy in the box was eventually buried in a potter's field. <laughs> Buried? Buried. <laughs> bur, bur. Bird. In a potter's field in Holmesburg, Pennsylvania. What's a potter's field? Remember the, oh, are you saying for people that don't know? Potter's field is like for the unidentified. Oh, so remember, we did talk about that. Remember yeah. in the room, uh, yeah. 1046. So back in the day, if you didn't, no one claimed the body, they would just bury you in a potter's yeah. field. Um, so that's where he was buried. So he was buried in a potter's field in Holmesburg, Pennsylvania, next to the Meckinsville and Dunks Ferry Road. So his, his tombstone read, Heavenly Father, bless this unknown child. So who could this young boy be? Let's get into some of the theories. What do you think it is? Um, okay, well, I didn't know about the boy girl issue. Uh -huh. Um, I thought it was like a family that had a sick child and they were not Kinda... wealthy. They weren't, they were poor basically. Right. And their kid died and they just which, didn't know what to do. Which could go, or maybe the medical bills would be too expensive and they were well, trying I mean, to do clearly the kid had been operated on or something with right. those like incisions and like things being like heal the right way. I mean, I know it doesn't all add up, but I, I've heard of stories where like a kid dies, like it, it, people don't, I mean, think about like these stories where someone dies and like, people don't know what to do. And right. they just like, well, leave. that's why they were checking. Cause of all the scars on them, they were checking the hospitals. Like, cause they were like, surely. And they would go up to like pediatricians and stuff. Like, do you recognize this boy? Maybe he was Amish. Right. And they like did that mm -hmm. back to the Amish thing and hat. Right. Hello. So they were like, you know, have you it seen this It was a scarecrow's boy? son. Right. Maybe. Or an alien. So the first theory comes from the authors Lou Romano and Jim Hoffman, who came across a lead from a man in Philadelphia who said that his family once rented a place to a man who sold his son, who they think possibly could be the boy in the box. So a forensic pathologist looked at the photos of the boy's potential father and possible brother and agreed that similarities would warrant further laboratory testing. He found similarities in the facial structure, the helix of the right ear, and the nose. A DNA sample was taken from the man they believed to be the brother. Oddly, investigators on the Philadelphia police did not say whether they would test DNA to compare the potential brother to the DNA of the boy in the box. They only said they would, quote, investigate further. And that's still pending. <laughs> so the second theory, which is this one's pretty neat, 
comes from medical examiner Remington Bristow, who investigated this case for over 36 years. So Bristow gathered newspaper clippings of the boy and spent thousands of dollars of his own money in countless hours trying to identify who this boy could be. So he traveled all the way to Arizona and Texas for leads. Bristow, Texas. Mm-hmm, Bristow even consulted with a psychic who held staples from the bassinet. So they, you know, oftentimes yeah. psychics will ask, like, give me something of sentimental yeah. value. So she was holding the staples of the uh, bassinet box, hoping to, like, relive or get some sort of clue of who of who it could be or what have happened. Don't believe it. So Bristow went even as far as carrying a mask of the boy's face um, in the brief in the briefcase. Oh, I don't like that. So Bristow theorized that the boy died accidentally. His freshly cut hair and nails indicated that he was well taken care of. Perhaps the boy's family never came forward because they did not want to be charged with murder. So based on the psychic's clue, Bristow looked into a foster family that lived nearby where the boy was found. The foster family had already been interviewed by the police. At this foster family's 1961 estate sale, Bristol found a bassinet that he could believe could have been the previously one that was stowed in the box that the boy was found in. As well, he found some of the same blankets that the boy was wrapped in inside that same foster home. So now he's seeing the bassinet, which we know the box that the boy was found in was from a bassinet, and the same plaid that the boy was wrapped in, was found in that home. So Bristow then began to theorize that the boy was an Ill, illegitimate child of the daughter of the foster family and was perhaps abandoned by the daughter so she would not be revealed as a single mother to the public. Bristow would eventually pass away in 1993, but shortly after, Philadelphia detective Tom Augustine took up the case where Bristow left off. On February 23rd, 1998, Detective Augustine went to the home of Arthur Nicoletti, the man who led the former foster care home. Mm-hmm. So Nicoletti's wife, Anna Marie, was the woman Bristow, Bristow theorized to be the mother of the boy in the box. So oh, the daughter at the yeah. time. In addition to being Nicoletti's wife, Anna Marie was also Nicoletti's stepdaughter. Anna, Mar- Anna- he married his stepdaughter? Oh, yeah. I got So Anna Marie told Augustine that she did have a boy, but he passed away in a very bizarre fashion with morgue records supporting her statement, though. His oh. cause of death was electrocution from a nickel ride outside of a store. So like the little ones that you put a nickel in and it goes like like yeah. a pig or a cow. He died on that once again, uh, leading to course. a dead end. But investigators were like, he died from a nickel ride. Like, that was just odd, but there was uh, records from the morgue indicating that her story was true. So this one's, this one's pretty, this one, the third and final theory is, I kind of believe this one. So this comes from a woman named Martha. I don't know if that's her real name. Some sources call her M, some call her Martha. I think she wants her identity, like, not known. It's me. So this lead, and this lead came 40 years later, after the death. Or the finding. So a psychiatrist from a so since... So 97? Um, yeah, 40 years after the boy was found. So a psychiatrist from Cincinnati contacted Augustine and said one of her patients insisted on speaking to the police about this case. The patient went by the name of Martha, and she said that when she was 11 years old, her mother took her to a house where she handed over an envelope and some money and purchased a young boy. 
Martha said that she was sexually abused by her mother and the mother wanted to do the same to another boy, to a boy. Martha said her mother bashed the boy's head against the wall after he threw up his dinner on himself. After her mother beat the young boy, she attempted to bathe him in which he passed away from his beatings during the bath. Once she realized he was dead, she drove Martha and the boy to Philadelphia to abandon him. Police did confirm that the boy did have baked beans in his stomach, which is what Martha told the police he was eating when he threw up. Remember the black residue yeah, that was in the esophagus? Yeah, but I feel like this person just followed the other guy's research and made this up. Right. And I'm going to, so to add, his fingers did appear to be water wrinkled or pruned, which would go yeah. along with the theory of him being bathed during the time of the death. So Martha spoke to investigators, again, Tom Augustine, Joseph McGillan, and William Kelly about these occurrences. McGillan and Kelly were one of the first on the Boy in the Box crime scene. All three were allegedly convinced that Martha's uh, compelling story was true. So according to Bill Flesher, a retired FBI agent, details of Martha's story do, in fact, add up. The testimonies, the addresses that she provided, and the descriptions. It is a strong theory, but even with Martha's lead, the police were not able to verify if the boy was who Martha claimed he was. So... With what you say, you say you don't believe this, right? So no. after police spoke with friends and family about Martha, they were like, no, don't listen to her. She has severe mental illness and she was known to be quite a fibber. So when talking with neighbors and friends, all of them denied ever seeing a child inside that home or near the home other than Martha. So eventually the case was dismissed as ridiculous. And that's a quote. (laughs) So several other theories have been presented over the years, though all of them have eventually been discounted. And it seems that the mystery in the boy of the boy, the box might never be solved and that America's unknown child could remain this way forever. However, In 2019, Uh -uh. the biggest break in the case occurred. Philadelphia homicide detectives got an order to exhume the remains of the boy in the box. Did they? Yes. And what they were able to retrieve was the first time they found DNA within it, within the box. Um, And it was sent to a lab in Europe and has now given them the biggest break yet. So uh, homicide captain Jason Smith said, this is the closest, this is the closest we have gotten is what he said. Um, so now police have this DNA on their profile and they're hope, obviously they, they're hoping to get some answers at least to be able to find who the boy's family is at least. Um, so this is the first time that, so now they're, this is an open case again. So now they're actively searching for people all over that could have any sort of clue on who this is. And they're going to go through like ancestry, DNA, family tree, and that kind of stuff to try to figure out who this, who this child could be. So Smith said, quote, might there still be witnesses around? There could be. Absolutely. Might there still be a perpetrator around that is still alive? Possibly and very well could be. Dun, dun, dun. I went into this completely thinking that this case is cold because for a while it was cold. I mean, it's yeah. been on several um, articles, I was going to do this story when we were like starting the podcast. And yeah. We were like, it's too short. Don't do it. It is short. But when I was reading it and I was like doing my ending today, I was like, wait, it's like open again. You and didn't was... know that when you start when you decided to do it? No, I thought it was like I found that the 2019 information today. Not. And I was like, whoa. So it's 
it's still alive and active now. Well, I just learned that right now. And I think that they obviously, they just want some sort of answer, you know? Have they been able to rule out that crazy lady? They're not even focused on that. They're just trying to find the DNA of some sort of family member that could at least track down, talk about where the boy came from, who he might be. Because at this point, it's so weird because usually when we do mysteries, we know who the person is. We just don't know how they were killed. This one, we know how he was killed. We don't know who the fuck it is. We don't really know how he was killed. Well, we know know what caused the death. I'm sorry, but we don't know what what happened. Blunt force trauma to the head. That's what killed him or that just happened to him? No, that's what killed him. They ruled that it was blunt force trauma to the head. Okay. But again, you're right. We don't know how it happened. Yeah. Like what With caused what that? But, or whatever. but yeah. the craziest part is we don't know who this boy is, um, which I found very fascinating. And I'm going to upload all of these photos of the boy. He is cute as can be. Um, the one where they position. These are all like fake pictures. No, no, no. I have the autopsy photo too. He's cute. He is cute. Well, he looks like a little, like just a little blonde Sleeping cute boy. Baby. The weird photo is him post-mortem that they positioned upright like he's sitting in a chair because he looks like a, like a little doll. Um, but knowing that he's dead in that photo is just weird. And they put like little overalls on him and oh, stuff. Oh, hell no. <laughs> um, but I'll upload the photo of like what they used on the flyers of him after they did the facial reconstruction of what, what he might look like. What about the one where they put long hair on him? Oh, the, the female. I haven't looked for that one, but I'm sure I can find it. I'm sure you can. But um, yeah, that was this week's 30-Minute Manor Mystery. Guys, and then this week, we're going to have an episode that releases on Thursday. And this is going to be Emily's episode. I've joined the podcast after six months. Six You're months welcome. later. we And then so we'll listen to that on Thursday. And then six months from now, we'll get another one from her. I was I'm kidding. having a hard time. She's got it. We're going to give her our support and our love. And it's going to be great. <laughs> Bye, guys. Have a great evening.